0: Time now at 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the Katie Helper Show coming up right now.
1: Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. I'm your host, Katie Helper. It is August 12th, 2015. We are here at WBAI Studios. It's been a while. Really happy to be back on 99.5 FM, WBAI.org on the interwebs, and I'm here, of course, as usual, with my co-pilot, Gabe Pacheco.
2: Hi, how's it going, everybody? Uh, glad to be back. Thanks. Eddie, it's good to see you again after 14 days.
1: I know. It's been way too long. And, of course, we have Reggie on the uh, engineering keyboard.
0: Hey. How you doing, Reggie? Hey, what's up, guys? Now, it's been a while.
1: I know. It's been a while. I've missed you guys. I've missed the show. I've missed the listeners. I don't even want to think about how much Gabe has missed Reggie.
0: Because oh, too much.
2: too much. Too much. Were you yeah. able to
1: function? What was it like?
2: <laughs> it was it was crazy, man. Because you don't know the uh, off air conversations we have. Reg, uh-huh. Reg, those are the things that keep me coming back to WBAI.
1: I feel like they I'm keep you to keep going. It interesting. I feel like they just keep you going in life. Forget WBAI. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Am I revealing too much? Well,
2: we're not at a point yet where we're texting, but great.
1: soon. A <laughs> couple more episodes. We're two episodes Yeah, give it away. time. Give it give time. time. Give, give it time.
0: Weeks. Yeah, give it time.
1: So it's great to be back. I've missed everyone. I've missed talking to you guys. I've missed the insights. Uh, we're having a great show today. Of course, you can hear us every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on WBAI. I just want to give you a little bit of a preview of what's coming down the pike today. We have such great guests. We have Becky Bond from Credo. Mobile. She's gonna be talking to us about the Iran deal and Chuck Schumer and the Shonda that Schumer is being on the Iran deal. And and just for the record I use the word Shonda, Becky Bond did not slander uh Schumer by calling him a Shonda. Although I would argue it's not slander because it's appropriate. But I'm calling him that anyway. Is that yeah. the word
2: of the day? What's a, what's a shonda? Uh, a shanda. yeah. Shonda yeah, shanda
1: means shame. Yeah. It's Yiddish yeah. for for shame, Yeah. So so uh,
0: how is that a how a? hows that a f how is that a offensive
1: it's not offensive it's just oh. it's like if i called him a shame it's just a bad it's an insult right there's no secret extra insult no, no like, yeah, that's yeah. what
0: i was because right, of, like, right. that's from my understanding of the word right. i was like that's all it was
1: right right that is all it is
0: I, can you make it a verb though or is it a shame you know, as though it's some, a noun or can right.
1: you can
2: you be shaming like shondaizing Shanda, totally You got
1: shandered. Maybe. Mm-hmm. You like know, it's, body
2: shonding. I like that. Body shonding. I like that. We are
1: not. We don't body shond on this show. No. Never have, never will. That would be Never have, never will. Just like we don't admit people with light eyes. Another <laughs> policy. <laughs> Our viewers may not know about this. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it in another episode. It happened when Gabe Pacheco... Uh, reified blue eyes and assumed that a very attractive gorilla in Japan had to have deep blue eyes. I was offended as someone with brown eyes and someone who thinks that gorillas have brown eyes. And that was a
0: handsome gorilla, though. Yeah.
1: Reggie, you as I remember you verbatim said, it has a lot, there's a lot of charm there in it. It was a face. lot of character. Shabani in that was his yeah, name. Um,
0: yeah, it was. Yeah. Named it after was.
2: the yogurt that yes. we find in exactly. bodegas now.
1: Exactly. Then we have Melissa Gira Grant talking about sex work and the historic vote that Amnesty International cast. Uh, just yesterday from Dublin, Ireland, about sex work. And it's very controversial. People on Twitter are getting into fights, them fighting tweets. Lena Dunham and Melissa Grant had a little bit of a thing on Twitter. Uh Uh-huh. I invited Lena Dunham to call into the show. Lena, if you're listening, I mean, Lena, I know you're listening. Call into the show. Just tweet at me. We'll get you onto the show. Um... Because you know, there's many different feminists have right. different views on things, but we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna get into it it's later. It's not
2: a monolithic. It's not a organization. Organization. There is no feminist yes, movement.
1: It right. It's
0: really about it's all of never, our voices. It
1: is. It's tra- it's intersectional. It's, at the end it, of the day, it's
0: never monolithic. It, it's never monolithic, and it, it never has been, and never will be.
1: And it never would have mm-hmm. been it it, exactly just, we have to add another because life
0: is just a, a a war between different special interest groups.
1: Exactly. <laughs> among
0: I mean yeah. life or no, society or I, I, something like that. I, I think you're you're on it. That's You just true. put your finger Very you true. just put your finger that, right that, on that is true. It. Well, I got chills. I, was, I was raised in Washington D.C., so he you was. know, That's the
2: that's the one wisdom I got from growing up there.
1: And I of course, we'll get into why I'm an honorary daughter of Washington D.C. it has to do with someone my mom dated. We'll save that for the end of the show. Oh. Um so we need a Trump date though, guys. We're going to go on a Trump date. That's when we go on a a, an update. We don't go on a date with Trump, but we talk about it. And we take a journey. We take a journey. We jump on top and ride the slide that is his his hairpiece. His downward
2: right? spiral his of downward a hairpiece. His downward spiral of a
1: hairpiece. Yeah, oh. it's a it's a it's a tobogganing journey. But um, tobogganing. one of the things that we missed during our weeks off dear listeners, was that there was a GOP debate and we didn't get to unpack it. And of course, that's what we're going to do now because we unpack. We like to do the work. So I want to play for you this exchange between the Donald Trump and moderator Megyn Kelly. Now, Megyn Kelly, of course, is famous. She's a a Fox anchor. She's one of the blondes. She's famous for insisting Mm. that not only is Jesus Christ white, but so is Santa Claus. So we're going to hear this clip.
2: They both had blue eyes, too. Beautiful, piercing blue eyes. Just like Chabani.
3: They wouldn't get on my show.
0: Mr.
3: Trump. One of the things people love about you is you speak your mind and you don't use a politician's filter. However, that is not without its downsides, in particular when it comes to women. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Only Rosie O'Donnell. (laughs) No, it wasn't. Your Twitter. Thank you. For the record, it it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, I'm sure it was. Your Twitter account has several disparaging comments about women's looks. You once told a contestant on Celebrity Apprentice it would be a pretty picture to see her on her knees. Does that sound to you like the temperament of a man we should elect as president? And how will you answer the charge from Hillary Clinton, who is likely to be the Democratic nominee that you are part of the war on women?
4: I think the big problem this country has is being politically correct. I've been, cha- I've been challenged by so many people, and I don't frankly have time for total political correctness. And to be honest with you, this country doesn't have time either. This country is in big trouble. We don't win anymore. We lose to China. We lose to Mexico, both in trade and at the border. We lose to everybody. And frankly, what I say, and oftentimes it's fun, it's kidding, we have a good time, what I say is what I say. And honestly, Megan, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I've been very nice to you, although I could probably maybe not be based on the way you have treated me, but I wouldn't do that.
1: That was Donald Trump. Guys, first of all, I haven't heard a GOP debate audience clap and hoop and whoop that much since a 2011 debate when we heard the following question asked by Brian Williams to Rick Perry.
4: Your state has executed 234 death row inmates, more than any other governor in modern times. Have you...
1: Okay, that was Rick Perry getting a huge round of applause for just having having the audience be reminded by Brian Williams that Texas has killed more people under his governorship than any other governor. They clap for that. (laughs) Amazing, amazing, right? So you, amazing. they clap for that, and they, and they clap for calling women pigs and joking about Rosie O'Donnell. We have fun, but you know what? It trump's onto something because I got to tell you something. As I get older, I've realized that being PC. Or not being PC and stereotyping and not checking your facts, it saves a lot of time. It's like a time (laughs) suck when you have to say things like, Mexicans aren't all rapists, you know? Why not just save everyone a lot of time? I've
0: noticed a lot of people lately who have been saying PC is usually white, straight, male individuals who has not evolved and is complaining that they can't use derogative terms in the past that was considered acceptable. And now... Oh, people like saying that's not funny.
1: Well, you know what? Okay. African-American is seven syllables. Uh, There's uh, a uh, word that uh, I'm not going to say that's yeah, two syllables. Oh, uh, well, So you understand. Well, yeah, well. People are upset. So I've been told. Right? It's shorter. <laughs> it's much <laughs> yeah. shorter to be... Yeah. You could call me Jewish, or you could call me a, K, a word that starts with a K. Oh well, then you save uh, a lot of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Or, also, or hard consonants. Hard People consonants. love hard they consonants. They like them. It's lazy. It's, staccato.
1: it's, it's staccato. lazy. Staccato. Right. It's lazy. It's laziness. It's lazy. But uh, Trump. The thing is, we have a good time, as Trump said.
2: How about his threat to her that uh, I could be, I oh could God, be not very nice no. to you right no. the, now? You know what? You, you know, what? I've been nice to
1: you, but you know what? I may not be after this. And quite frankly, and I love the way she's like, you're a misogynist, and his response is like, don't make me. Threaten to be mean to you and call you a fat pig you <laughs> slut basically you in know front of
0: this nice crowd of people yeah
1: this lovely we're having fun here we're Trump fun. Did the
0: impossible for me he, he made me feel bad for megan kelly
1: yes very yeah or at least i don't know if i felt bad for her but i felt like she was on the side of the of right no but
0: right because right. i because let's let's get it straight megan kelly i think she has said some egregious stuff right. something stings that are very repugnant yeah but in that moment yeah. I was like, "Wow!" Well, I sympathize with him yeah, at he, that point, point.
1: and that's nothing because we haven't heard what his follow-up was. Ready? So, so that, of course, is that. In all fairness, on the Trump scale, that's like a one, right? That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't go high on the Trump scale, right? But this is how Trump refused to apologize to Megyn Kelly. He had this to say about her on CNN.
4: You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever.
1: Okay. Blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her whatever. I'm assuming the whatever is a reference to her ears.
2: Yeah, totally. Right? I mean, I'm just picturing a 28 days later, like, zombie, you know. 28, uh, 28
1: days, days le- Ooh, Woo. Okay, okay, I see where we're wow. going with that. Wow, That wow. was good. 28 that... days late. Oh, my God. Oh, we are oh, too smart for our own good. Man. Wow. I'm so uh, Scared
0: of both of y'all.
1: I know, right? <laughs> now, if we were up to me, I would spend the entire show talking about Trump, right? But what's really, really scary is that Trump is... Far from the worst when it comes to women's issues. Like, he's the most vulgar and the most, you know, fun. We have the most fun with him, definitely. <laughs> but the GOP is really full of extremists on women's issues, and they make Trump look way normal. And we're going to hear Uh, Right now, here's a little montage that I found on uh, Fox News, and this is what Ted Cruz, George Pataki, Bobby Jindal, and Jeb Bush, all of whom are trying to get the nomination, this is what they have to say about women's issues and Planned Parenthood.
4: Prosecute Planned Parenthood for any criminal violations. Defund Planned Parenthood. Absolutely, we need to defund Planned Parenthood. As governor of the state of Florida, I defunded Planned Parenthood.
1: Those are Ted Cruz, George Pataki, Bobby Jindal, and Jeb Bush either vowing to defund Planned Parenthood or humble bragging that they did. And remember, Planned Parenthood spends about 3%, I think, of its budget on abortions. So that's evil in itself, so we're going to get rid of all the other health services that they provide.
2: The 97%. The 97% of things.
1: In all fairness, they also give out contraception, which these people oppose also. But... um, just regular health exams, stuff like that. They, you know, they've never been into that big. In all fairness to them, they're consistent. They've never been that into women's health, right?
0: Well, Pataki was a supporter of Planned Parenthood when he was governor.
1: Uh, of New York, right. Of New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, It's convenient. Right. So um, that, as, as Dan Savage likes to say, it gets better, right? Because listen to what Mike Huckabee had to say about Planned Parenthood.
4: People are talking about defunding Planned Parenthood as if that's a huge game changer. I think it's time to do something even more bold. I think the next president ought to invoke the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments to the Constitution now that we clearly know that that baby inside the mother's womb is a person at the moment of conception. The reason we know that it is is because of the DNA schedule that we now have clear scientific evidence on. And this notion that we just continue to ignore the personhood of the individual is a violation of that unborn child's fifth and fourteenth amendment rights for due process and equal protection under the law
1: so mike huckabee like many republicans is one of these pro-life people until it's actually alive right he's pro pre-life he's pro pre-life but once you're born he doesn't care about you um That was Mike Huckabee talking about the DNA schedule. I don't actually know what that is. He also doesn't believe in science, so I don't know why he's citing DNA, (laughs) uh, but whatever. And then here's my favorite of all of them, Scott Walker. We've talked about him before on the show. He thinks that um, forced ultrasounds, transvaginal ultrasounds are just a really cool thing. This is what he has to say about um, the sanctity of life.
3: Governor Walker, you've consistently said that you want to make abortion illegal, even in cases of rape, incest, or to save the life of the mother. You recently signed an abortion law in Wisconsin that does have an exception for the mother's life, but you are on record as having objected to it. Would you really let a mother die rather than have an abortion? And with 83% of the American public in favor of a life exception, are you two out of the mainstream on this issue to win the general election?
4: Well, I'm I'm pro-life. I've always been pro-life. And I've got a position I think is consistent with many Americans out there in that... And that I believe that that is an unborn child that's in need of protection out there. And I've said many a time that that unborn child can be protected. And there are many other alternatives that will also protect the life of that mother. That's been consistently proven. I defunded Planned Parenthood more than four years ago, long before any of these videos came out.
1: So way before it's popular to hate uh, hate women and to openly disregard, express your disregard and contempt for their health and their, their rights... Scott Walker was trying to do this. Scott Walker basically just said during the debate that, yes, he would let a woman die if he had his way rather than let her terminate a pregnancy. And he was
2: looking for alternatives. He He's was looking, looking for, alternatives. for medical alternatives. Right. Because these guys
1: are so into funding science and medicine, right? <laughs> so, so it makes sense. So
0: disgusting. Yeah,
1: really disgusting. Do they honestly think that... You know, Jesus didn't mention abortion once. I just like to throw that out no, there as he, a reminder. Uh, no, Nothing no. about abortion. So I don't know where these people...
0: You know, I'm hoping one day Jesus just come back and say please guys i don't know you
1: yeah you're embarrassing me you're embarrassing me. i
0: don't know you
1: we can't leave you on a down note like that we're going to leave you on an up note which is um trump got called out for donating to democrats and uh they were basically like why do you donate to someone like hillary clinton or nancy pelosi and this is what he had to say he had a very good explanation for why he did that
4: You've also donated to several de- Democratic candidates, Hillary Clinton included, Nancy Pelosi. You explained away those donations saying you did that to get business related favors. And you said recently, quote, when you give, They do whatever the hell you want them to do. You better believe it. I give to everybody. When they call, I give. And you know what? When I need something from them two years later, three years later, I call them. They are there for me. So, what'd you get from Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi? Well, I'll tell you what. With Hillary Clinton, I said, be at my wedding, and she came to my wedding. You know why? She had no choice because I.
1: Okay, that's what he gets. You know what? If I had the power and money that Trump had, I would use it. To compel people to come to my wedding, maybe that's how um, Elton John went to perform at Rush Limbaugh's wedding, which he did. Serious? Yeah, he did. His seventeenth wife want, likes uh, likes him, I guess. So yeah, oh my. Elton. He also performed in South Africa during uh, apartheid. Let's be honest, Elton John's yeah, not the most principled yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, you heard that, me. Yeah, 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 I said it. Uh-huh, yeah, I said it. Uh-huh.
2: No, okay. you know, I didn't you, know that he did. was such a,
1: a shill. A shill, a schmuck, if you will. Um, but of course, this makes me want to do a Katie Helper Show cover, and I hope you guys will join me on another episode, of the Melissa Etheridge song, Come to My Window, but it'll be Come to My Wedding. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And we haven't had time to do that, but we are going to take a short musical break and play some of the Melissa Etheridge song. And as you listen, just imagine that it's Donald Trump and he's singing to Hillary and telling her to come to his wedding. But don't go away, because after that, we have so much more great show for you. We have Becky Bond from Credo Mobile calling in to talk about Chuck Schumer and why he's being such a schmuck on Iran. Again, my words, not Becky's, not to take credit, just don't want to get her in, on, into any trouble. And then we have Melissa Jura Grant, author of Playing the Whore, and she'll be talking to us about Amnesty International's historic vote to decriminalize sex work. And you're listening to The Katie Halper Show on WBAI 99.5 FM on the radio or WBAI on... The interwebs, and we're here every Wednesday from six to seven. And you can also find us in iTunes and SoundCloud and Tumblr. Melissa Etheridge, come to my window on the Katie Halper Show. We're here every Wednesday at 6pm on 99.5 FM on WBAI and on WBAI.org on the interwebs and we want to cover that song and make it into a Trump cover of that song and he will be singing to Hillary Clinton, come to my wedding. But we didn't have time to do that. But we do have time to bring on, how do you like that transition? Our next guest, we're really <laughs> thrilled to have her on. I've uh, admired this woman for a very long time. She's a very prolific activist, if you can use those two words together. I think you can. Um, Becky Bond is here from Credo Mobile, and she's the political director of Credo. Becky, are you here?
5: I am here. It's so great. Two great New York institutions that I admire, which is WBAI and Katie Halper.
1: Oh, stop. I'm blushing. You can't see right now, but I'm really blushing. Thank she's you. She's blushing. I'm blushing, right? Um, Becky, how are you? I, I, you know, uh, I'm doing
5: well. Um, you know, uh, the world is going to hell, but I'm great personally. Right. That's good. That's good.
1: Because we need you to be in a good place so you can help fight the the shift towards hell that is going on. Um, Becky, you are involved via credo in so many great causes. And you sometimes do things like have us thank people for doing the right thing. Right. And sometimes you have us, you know, kind of try to call people out for not doing the right thing. And uh, we're having you. It's more the latter. More the latter. And unfortunately, there is more calling out to be done than congratulating. Right. That's
5: where we are today in the United States.
1: I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. And then I got an email from you guys from Credo. And I was like, you know, I need to have Credo on because I need Becky Bond on. And because I, as a New Yorker and a Jew, I'm not going to lie, I'm feeling very ashamed of fellow member of the tribe, Chuck Schumer. Not the first time I felt ashamed (laughs) by him. But um, he's doing something not very honorable. He's trying to kill this historic Iran deal. And can you tell us about what you're campaigning for now with Credo?
5: Sure. You know, Senator Schumer, uh, uh, a lot of your listeners will remember, you know, he voted the wrong way on Iraq. He supported the Iraq War. And um, and unlike uh, other people, other New Yorkers that voted wrong on the Iraq War, like Hillary Clinton, he hasn't learned from the mistake um, of that decision, and right now he is working to kill a deal, this historic peace deal um, that will stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon and um, And what 's so remarkable about this it 's not even just that he said that he would join Republicans who just want to bomb Iran in opposing this deal, but he said that he's actually going to try and um, and recruit some of his fellow Democrats in the Senate. Um To also oppose this peace deal uh with Iran and make no mistakes the, the The alternative to the deal that's on the table that's been negotiated with iran the alternative's not a, a different deal or a better deal the 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 alternative is 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 going to be war right. um, with with Iran so this is very much a matter of war and peace and 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 so we have really turned our focus to Senator schumer uh, not only because we've lost his vote but also because he is threatening. Um, to uh, bring enough Senate Democrats over to the side of the Republicans uh, to kill this historic deal, and you know, Democrats they don't always they don't always um, get tough talk, you know, right. from people that they that they share you know their values on some issues, but but this is one where we're pushing back hard against Senator Schumer, and, and particularly on something that he cares a lot about, which is that he's in line to be the next leader. Of the Senate Democrats after um, current Majority Leader Harry Reid retires, right. and so one of the things that we want to do is we want to we want to put this in play and say if um, if Chuck Schumer is going to be wrong on Iran and fight for war, then he can't be the person that leads Democrats going forward. And we're working very hard to push back on that and to and to to make him toxic by the time the leadership vote comes around.
1: Even more toxic than he's already making himself
5: well right. you know it's really interesting it's 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 interesting you know we'd like to think of him as toxic when we look at he said you know passing obamacare was a mistake and we're like right. who would say that right. but you know well, the 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 um, if you raise a lot of money for your other Democrats, it, it's kind of unbelievable how much they'll put up with And, and Senator nice. Schumer has raised a ton of money. And this is just one of those um, situations where money generally rules today in Washington, D.C., and money would normally pave his way to be the leader of the party. Um, but in a matter of war and peace, when so much is at stake, we're seeing a massive backlash. And, and we think people pushing back, and including New Yorkers pushing back on this, um, that we're actually going to be able to overcome the power of all that money he raised um and make him truly toxic so
1: he's a recidivist right he has a bad record because he was wrong on iraq like you said and now he's wrong in iran again he doesn't learn from his mistakes he's incorrigible he's like a, a child I mean, who doesn't learn he doesn't gabe I, you were I, a teacher I, what do yes, you think sir. of this I, I, not a good he's not it wasn't a teachable moment for for schumer right
2: absolutely not
1: gabe <laughs> gabe's going to make up a lesson plan he's already working on it that's what he's doing right now sorry becky what were you saying well, I was just going to
5: say, you know, it's it, it's 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 not even that he, we we don't make him learn from his mistakes because you you have to uh, make powerful Democrats. You right. have to have a way to make them feel pain, right? right? And Put so, um, and that, that's how we win—not right. by asking nicely, not by saying, "Hey, the majority of your you know constituents actually don't want another war of choice," right? Because um, it's the life East. and death,
1: right? Literally, not to be dramatic right. about it. Yeah, and and that's what. Yeah, and one of the great things about Credo is that you do, you guys are outside of Beltway politics, right? So you actually. You work around issues, not around politicians. So when it's necessary, you aren't afraid to hold people's feet to the fire, which is really refreshing.
5: Well, politicians are so disappointed. And, you know, we've been we've both been fighting this for a long time. And and, and, and we realize that, you know, politicians don't do anything that we don't make them do. Right. And it's like, you like that know, famous pressure thing, has
1: FDR quote, whether or not it's, it's real. Right. Where he
5: says, now go make me do it. That's right, or right. Frederick Douglass, you know, a power proceeds oh, right. nothing without a demand. Right. And I really believe that that's true, and our role as progressives is not to suck up the powerful people, um, but, it's to, um, but it's to pressure them and make them do the right thing, because we know that the, the right wing is investing millions and millions of dollars to try um, and kill this deal. And so we have to, we don't have that money that's going into this fight, but we have people. And so we have to organize the people to put the hurt on um, these folks um, who would do the wrong thing. I mean, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, she did the right thing. She's come out in favor of the deal. Right, and she's uh, in Louis New York, so,
2: right.
5: Yeah, Louise Slaughter, rep from Rochester, she just came out today okay. in favor of the deal. And so New Yorkers have a lot of politicians that they can be, that they can be proud of today. Um, but this is not a day where New Yorkers can be proud of uh, Senator Chuck Schumer and how he's representing them in Congress.
1: Now, why do you think he's doing this? I mean, Chuck Schumer is not a stupid person, right? Do you think he's actually um, just been kind of brainwashed by these hawkish ideas? Is there something more kind of uh, cynical that's going on? What do you think his motivations are?
5: Um, you know, that's a really good question. and And Senator Schumer... You know, like a lot of hawks, I think he's living in a fantasy world mm-hmm. where he thinks that we can get what we want just by wishing for it really, really hard. And 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 people in D.C. sometimes can succumb to this kind of magical thinking, and that's how we ended up invading Iraq. Yeah. Um, and that's what you know, warhawk Democrats like uh, Senator Schumer want to get us into uh, in Iran. But you know, I don't know any reasonable person that actually um, talks to people out in the world and doesn't doesn't live in the bubble that's Washington D.C. that actually really thinks. That it would be a good idea for the United States to start bombing uh, to uh, start bombing Iran.
1: I mean, despite the fact that we already have a theme song, as John McCain pointed out, with "Bar Bar 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 Iran, you know, the, the Beach Boys song. That 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 they do have that on their side. They have a soundtrack. On their side,
5: but. well, they like to, they like to do that. I mean, they really do. They like to go. They're they're into endless war. They like to go and right. blow things up. Right. Um, and this is just not how. It um, goes back to the, to the to the. There's no teacher that just says you know like this isn't like you're not out in the sandbox making explosion right. sounds. Right. You exactly. know, Playing right. with your your GI Joe. I mean, this is real people's lives. Right. And this is our also the our uh, this is the, like the, our nation's treasury, not just its blood. Right. And we we simply can't afford to do right. this.
1: So what can New Yorkers and what can Americans, U.S. citizens uh, do to help support this campaign to bring the hurt to, to, to Schumer?
5: Well first of all, we are um uh a Credo Credo activists and, and many others in New York are drilling Senator Schumer's office with calls. And believe me, this does get noticed. And so um if you get on our email list um at credoaction.com, we will send you a really easy way um to uh to continue to uh, make calls uh to Senator Schumer or you can go to uh dot com. We're also I'm trying to cook something up right now about giving um, uh, people in New York City actually a way to weigh in directly with Senator Schumer while he's home um, and during the August recess. So, um, so Congress takes a big vacation in, uh, in August, so um, they get a lot of days off, not like regular working people. And yeah. he's going to be back home in New York City. And so um, uh, if you stay tuned, you go to um, Stop War, um, with StopWarWithIran.com, um, we will be um, – you can stay tuned, and we're going to be giving New Yorkers the opportunity to show up in person Ooh, to great. tell uh, Senator Schumer what they think.
1: Maybe we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, a
5: fours-
2: like a four-square GPS thing where we know where Schumer is all the time, and we can just sort of flash mob him?
5: Yeah, Uh, uh, it'll be um, it'll it'll be something uh, it'll be something like that. But it's definitely um, a good time to um, to show up to Senator Schumer when he shows his face around New York City and let him know what New Yorkers really think about his his plan to join McCain. um, Yeah, it's embarrassing. I love it. I love it. Two part harmony.
2: A Schumer spotter.
1: Schumer App. Spotter, yeah, Schumer, Schumer Spotter. You've been Schumered. Well, Becky, thank you so much. Becky Bond from Credo Mobile. And come back on the Katie Halper Show, and we will link to you on um, the Tumblr page that we have. We have the Katie Halper Show, tumblr.com. And where can we find you and Credo uh, on, the in, on Twitter?
5: We're at Credo Mobile uh, on Twitter, so that's a great place for you to find out about all the stuff that we have cooking, not just with Senator Schumer, but with a lot of other stuff that's going on that impacts New Yorkers every day. Great.
1: Have a great night and talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Becky. That was Becky Bond from Credo Mobile. Great organization. And you guys should all buy your phones via Credo. I don't know if you know about them. They're a great, great company. They give their uh, they give to good causes, and they have a whole political organizing wing. And we were just speaking to Becky Bond, the political director of Credo Mobile. Great campaigns. One of the few organizations, um, companies that actually – go after liberals and quote-unquote liberals and Democrats to make them actually be what um, Paul Wellstone called the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party, as opposed to, you know, Democrats who might as well be Republicans. Um, And we are going to take a short musical break. This is, of course, still the Katie Helper Show. We're here every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on 99.5 FM. And we're going to be talking to Melissa Gira Grant next about this historic vote on sex work and enjoy this sex work anthem that we're going to play by the police.
6: Everybody to the night. Rocks!
1: Welcome back to the Katie Helper Show. That was the police with their uh, radical uh, sex-positive critique of the sex work industry, we're going to pretend, Song Roxanne, um, which we thought would be very appropriate for our next guest. This is the Katie Helper Show. You can hear us every week and Wednesdays at 6 p.m. I'm here with Gabe Pacheco, Reggie Johnson, and our guest, our special guest, Melissa Gira-Grant, who we're so excited to have because if I could have one guest to talk about What we're about to talk about, it would be Melissa Grant. We're talking about Amnesty International's historic vote to back the decriminalization of consensual sex work. And Melissa Grant is a writer, journalist, and she can be found at The Nation, uh, Jezebel, Wired, and she's the author of the book Playing the Whore, which is a Verso book. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for coming and welcome. Thanks, it's awesome to be here right now. So... Uh, you wrote an article in The in the Nation uh, entitled Amnesty International is Finally on the Right Side of the Sex Work Struggle. Um, and so everyone just is on the same page. Yesterday at their meeting in Dublin, Ireland, delegates representing Amnesty International members from around uh, the world cast a historic vote on sex work, and they voted to authorize the Board of Amnesty International to adopt a policy that would include the, quote, full decriminalization of all aspects of consensual sex work. So... This is not a legal issue or a legislative issue, right? This is a coming out in support of a policy. Can you explain, just before we get into the more fun stuff, can you explain kind of the logistical, technical uh, phenomenon of what just happened? Sure,
6: and it's interesting because it sort of requires explaining a little bit about how amnesty works, but yes. hopefully that explains why this is also historic. So yeah, Amnesty International, they're an NGO, they can't set policy, uh, but what they can do is to set a tone for how human rights organizations take up important issues. Um, And by doing this, by, by deciding as an organization that they are going to bring the issue of sex workers' rights under this larger umbrella of human rights work that they take on, not only are they sending sort of a signal to their members and all of the different country level sections that make up Amnesty International um, to take this issue on, but I think they're also sending a message to other human rights organizations and to other activists that uh, sex workers' rights including the decriminalization of sex work to protect sex workers from the harms they might experience because what they do is considered a crime um, or they themselves are considered outlaws or criminals that that is a mainstream human rights issue right now and I think that is the most significant part of what they've done
1: so there was a huge pushback and a lot of controversy that both preceded the announcement and followed it and it preceded it because the policy got leaked do we know anything about how or why that happened the suspicion I think is that um, You know, there have been multiple
6: leaks Mm -hmm. and the leaks were um, to individuals who either wrote up the policy or... Frame the policy in from an anti-sex work light. Um, so take that for what it is. Okay. um, you know, I know from talking to staffers both inside of MSD and also MSD members uh, that this is an issue that, you know, though contentious, they understood it was very important to take on. And I think, you know we don't know for sure what happened at the meeting because it's a it's a private meeting um in terms of like who voted for what? But I don't believe that inside of Amnesty International, the controversy looked exactly like what it did to those of us watching it in the news, right? Where we saw, you know, folks like Lena Dunham um, being called to explain why she signed on to this letter opposing Amnesty International's potential stance before they had even taken the vote, um, or why we got, you know, people like Nick Kristoff doing his usual song and dance of like the sky will fall in if we dec- decriminalize sex work,
1: right. so, the sky half of which is held by women. Yeah, that was
6: good. No, he's been MIA on this. I haven't seen him like take his like victory or sad lap since the proposal went through. So, you know, it's interesting, like all of the doom and gloom that was sort of foreshadowed by those who opposed this and, and those who I think pushed the leak of it. You know, if you actually looked at what was leaked and most news outlets didn't. Um, what you would find in that document is a brief on research that Amnesty did in four different countries where selling sex might not be illegal, but a lot of activities around it is criminal. Um, and they found that that creates dangerous situations for sex workers and creates environments where sex workers' rights, when they are violated, they have very little recourse in the legal system. Right.
1: You've talked about how people kind of divide uh, sex workers. either in, They're either victims or criminals. The more feminist quote unquote, feminist uh, framing is that they're victims as opposed to criminals, right? Then there's this other feminist framing, which is that sex work is um, kind of inherently um, empowering. I feel like there's this false dichotomy, right, which is either sex work is the most degrading thing in the world, or it's the most empowering feminist thing in the world. And what I guess to me is so interesting and frustrating and puzzling is, does it, Matter Like, the point is, it seems to me, for anyone who cares about the quality of life and the safety and the health, respecting the humanity of people who are sex workers, it doesn't matter if you see it as a feminist thing, as a sexist thing. It's not going anywhere. Do people, do you think that they actually think that they're going to be able to prohibit it out of existence? I don't think so. You
6: know, I could be wrong. There were also people on Twitter last night from the organization that was, you know, supporting most of the opposition around this, um, who were saying things like what happened here when Amnesty supported sex work decriminalization. It must have been due to it. Uh, occult confluences like some of these people. I don't know if they're that in touch with the reality right. of what human rights work looks like. That said, let's like pretend that there is like a vast group of people who like don't have strong feelings about this and are trying to figure it out. Right. Um, I would say that the issue of empowerment comes in around the question of are you empowered to take full advantage of your rights? Right. Are you empowered to get justice when you experience violence? Are you empowered to negotiate the conditions of your own work? And criminalization makes all of those things really, really hard. Um, so what you have happening is for some folks on the opposition, who what they're primarily opposed to is sex work itself existing anywhere ever and how they feel about that those arguments tend not to reach them. And so I think that's why we end up in this sort of like circular thing around, oh, are you empowered? And did you choose it or not? Or whatever. You know, to be honest, when police arrest you, they don't ask you, are you empowered? Are you a victim? They're just going to take you away.
1: Right. It's a very, I mean, it becomes an academic and emotional and ideological argument, right? Where what I think is so frustrating is that evidence, and you've you've said this, um, and you said this in your article in The Nation, which is that like it's not clear that evidence matters to certain people, right? Because, again, if there's, you talk about in your book, Playing the Whore, that you gave this presentation at Yale mm-hmm. and that afterwards people came up to you and they were upset or they felt like you had been holding back because you didn't disclose your quote-unquote position on sex work right
6: right my presentation which is for the I think it was the information and in, um, society program you know we're talking about internet law and kind of like issues of free speech and also there's some folks there from a reproductive justice program they also it was a really interesting group of people and certainly not everyone said this but but some of the law students in particular were really concerned that I didn't somehow preface my remarks about violence that sex workers had suffered at the hands of police with my like ideological stake in like well how do I feel about sex work and should it exist or not? And am I pro or con this? I mean, let's have pro and con conversations about policy. Let's do that. But also like, let's not do that in this like abstract way that has nothing to do with the lives of sex workers. And I felt like what was going on in that case is I was basically being told like, we can't even hear what you're saying. Like what you're saying is not even real to us, unless you meet us in this way that we're used to talking about this issue.
1: Or because you're not a trustworthy source, maybe because you have this, according to them, this kind of you're driven by this ideological position that they find somehow reprehensible or in like, right, like the fact
6: that I didn't like conform to the positions that they had been handed itself was like too disorienting right. so right. you know I mean that's also why I named it in the book to say like yeah this can be disorienting for people you know I think there's a lot of parallels around how we talk about drugs how we talk around right. abortion you know how we're sort of realizing that like these are not black and white issues and that not everybody's lives are
1: encapsulated in sort of pro or con arguments right and I, I do think it's really important and I've, whenever I argue about this with friends um. I feel like the issue of well, it's some people don't choose to do this again if that's true, and let's say that there is a vast, and you talk about this a lot in your writing and when I when um, when you speak, there's a you know people go into sex work for a variety of reasons, and you don't have to overly kind of pathologize it or overly romanticize it to realize, just logically speaking, from a, a kind of logical outsider looking at everything perspective, like. You make people safer, right? When they're not shoved into this underground and underworld where they don't have recourse or access to things, it just seems like it's so much more about where you're, where you are on the issue. Like people are so want to know what your position is on sex work per se, as opposed to sex workers, right?
6: Exactly, and it becomes a sort of performance, you know. Like it becomes about like, well, let's have this like conversation about our feelings about sex work rather than you know having a real grounded conversation about what's going on in people's lives what do they need um you know the thing that's so frustrating kind of about the empowerment conversation particularly around sex work is it's a double standard we don't apply this to anybody Total, right, else right. in any other job and and we don't say to you know the fight for 15 campaigners like do you really love McDonald's right, exactly. i don't right. know yeah. you know right. i'm not so right.
2: sure i love that uh that just wouldn't like the term sex work i'm like it's still work like jobs always are ter- like Most people don't like the jobs they have, but we all have equal protection under the law or unions or some uh, form of, um, I don't know, protection like guidelines that everyone has to follow. And so, why don't sex workers have those? Have why is
6: this the exception? Where you know the right. idea of labor organizing is somehow impossible? That people think it condones an industry. I mean, would we say workers in other industries right. that are dangerous or that we
1: don't accept? Or boxing? Like, why don't we? I always, th- when people say this is not a victimless crime, you know, people are getting harmed. People get harmed in boxing. Like, mm-hmm. should we also make boxing illegal? I, I would probably support making that illegal before sex work. Or coal man. mining. Or coal mining, cool mining. Right. Yeah. Or arms
6: manufacturing. Right. Right. Like, if or you're the worker lending. on right. the factory right. line. Right. Like, what? You know, what are we actually talking? about, are we trying to, trying to protect people from the very dire situations that all workers face when their rights are not respected? Right. Or are we trying to express some kind of, you know, opinion? Like, I think where this comes from, and it, it this sort of gets to what you were saying around feminism in particular, is a lot of kind of the feminist project has been about defining a particular kind of valuable woman, right? She right. has a career, she loves her job, she has this like perfect equitable relationship with her partner, she's professional, she's educated. And I think Anybody who sort of falls without that outside of that frame is seen as somebody to help, right. not a partner.
1: And to help, right? To help in a way without consulting them, particularly, exactly. right? So, it's, and people will say to me when I'm talking about this issue, they'll say to me, "Well, would you want your boyfriend to go to a prostitute?" I'm like, uh, "Well, I don't. I don't need to know the answer to that." <laughs> yeah, <but, laughs> it's like, that's, that's it, between you guys. But yeah, but it's also like I, I wouldn't like my boyfriend to go to a Young Republicans meeting, and I don't think <laughs> right. that that should be. You know, I'm not. I'm not, I don't think that that should be illegal. Um, It's so, yeah, I feel like there's so much anxiety and personal anxiety around it. And, you know, people really do think that sex is just different, Mm -hmm. that it's like this essential thing. It's a part of us. And you and your book talk about this interesting, you do kind of a linguistic investigation of the, the way the term, um whore used to be a verb right it was to whore or to prostitute a lot of our terms around sexuality as identities
6: are really really new right like the you know the idea of being a homosexual or even a heterosexual is a pretty new thing this is like only you know 100 150 years we've had these terms and i put prostitute in sort of the same box um, and horror, even older than that. Like, th- we used to talk about things that people did, not things that made them a type of person when it came to sexuality. Um, and I would argue that, you know, what exists today now as sex work is very much a modern phenomenon. It really grates me when people talk about the world's oldest profession, especially mm-hmm. in this really hacky headline way. Right. Um, or it's like, no, jobs change over time. You know, we don't pretend that the factory farming that's going on today is exactly the same as the agrarian whatever that we were doing however many right. millennia ago. So I think it pays to be very specific when we. talk about these things you know the the kind of sex work that exists because of the internet has there's nothing like that that's ever existed in human history like let's be honest about I think that's part of what's going on in these fights too is people are very very nervous um, about what they experience as the ubiquity of sex work I mean I would argue it's just the fact that the internet makes it so much easier to see what has always been going on and brings it that much closer to you you can't pretend this is just about those people over there anymore
1: right which is another thing that I remember getting into a discussion and my friend saying well well, if it's legal here, like right now people will go abroad to do it, but if we make it legal here, they'll be doing it here. And I was like, why would I care at all? Like which seems like a very nationalistic and jingoistic thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's saving gas. <laughs> yeah, they're environmentalists. Right. It's a green it's all about about our, yeah. our imprint, our, yeah. you know, our carbon yeah. our fo- low carbon, carbon right. footprint. Footprint, That's <laughs> what we're going these days. Yeah. But what farm what is the
2: table.
6: farm to table god. Sex Oh god.
2: Crop to oh. cup.
6: Oh god. my god. Artisanal. Oh god. Artisanal. Locally sourced, wild crafted. No, I mean like, there is a real conversation to have about migration and sex work. Right. Like, you know, all of the kind of trafficking panic, I think, oftentimes stands in for a panic about people crossing borders to do all different kinds right. of work, some of it really crappy. Um, and like, we could talk about what it is that means that people are arriving in places where they don't have legal access to work and how to make lives safer for them. Or we could like freak out about people crossing borders willy nilly. And it doesn't seem like the there's a lot of political will to talk honestly right. about, you know migration and and sex work as part of that. Like, you know, we now end up just talking about anytime anybody crosses a border to do sex work, that there's this presumption in some places that of course they must be trafficked to do that, because who else would do that willingly? In a way that we don't talk about other kinds of workers. Right, right.
1: Um, What- I just
2: remember, sorry, just an anecdote from like when the National Republican Convention uh, came to New York City, how uh, there was like an influx of sex workers that also uh, came too. So, you know, anytime there's a convention, with Republicans
6: right or let's be honest like I you mean, know, New York political reporters who are looking for like a more interesting story to write about the RNC like you know the same predictions have been made about the World Cup about the Olympics that like yeah. all these sex workers are going to send on this place I remember in when Berlin or I forget where it was in Germany had the World Cup They said 40,000 prostitutes are coming it didn't happen like there are actually like organizations that do work on trafficking and migration that like actually check after the fact to see if these claims are actually real but it, it actually doesn't seem to work that way. Like, of course, people go places for work. But I don't think it's quite this like inflated phenomenon that provides journalists, you know, easy stories to write.
1: So why does Amnesty and The Lancet, right, the medical uh, journal has come out with a series of articles that also look at HIV and decriminalization and how it helps uh, lower rates of HIV. Um, Let's just T- just ex- can you just explain to people who are listening, who whether they're skeptical or, or believers, you know, in the idea that decriminalizing is actually helpful, what is the evidence? Um, we don't have enough time to go through all of it, but what is what are some of the most um, kind of compelling pieces of evidence about how decriminalization does help um, improve the lives of people engaged in sex work? And I'll share a couple of the things that I cited in
6: one of my nation pieces um, that, that came out last week ahead of the, the amnesty vote you know, I would say World Health Organization and UNAIDS are good resources to look at on this, you know, and what they have found in in their work around sex work and HIV is that, you know, HIV isn't just about individual behaviors, it's about the environment that you live in. Um, There's been a lot of research done by Human Rights groups, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty, actually, on how when sex work is criminalized or when police target sex workers, whether or not what they're doing is considered criminal, one of the ways that they do that, one of the ways they look for a pretext to harass them, is to tell them to turn out their purse and see if they have condoms. Right. And so this is a really classic case of creating an environment where because of how police are interacting with sex workers, because of how sex workers are profiled in public spaces, we are actually damaging their ability to care for themselves and their health. And we used, we were doing this in New York until very recently. There are a few of the the um, like 11 or 12 different prostitution charges you can get charged with in New York. For three of those charges now, the NYPD are not supposed to be profiling people based on whether or not they have condoms. Um, but you know, how much money does our Department of Public Health spend making condoms available to all New Yorkers? Right. And yet we're also paying the police to take them out of their hands. Right. So those are the kinds of like, you know, policy and environmental and policing intersections to think about when we talk about things like HIV. The Lancet, you know, did fantastic work um, to show how rates of HIV could actually be reduced for everyone um, if sex work were decriminalized. And, you know, the, the thing there I would just highlight is it's hard for me to make arguments about sex work decriminalization based on public health that don't take the public health of sex workers as the most important part of the argument um, you know, I was just doing a show this morning where I was being asked about Nevada's brothel mm-hmm. system and like, oh well, isn't that great that you know the the health and welfare of sex workers is being so closely monitored? And it's like, yeah, they're actually testing sex workers so often for HIV that you couldn't even detect if someone had HIV in that window period. Like, what that's about right. is punishment, Hyper, and control, right. uh, and it, yeah, and it's this fear that the community is somehow endangered by right. sex workers, and that that's not what this argument is about around HIV. This is primarily about the health and safety of sex
1: workers. And what about in terms of like having recourse to you you know, I the thing that I always think about is if someone's engaged in sex work and someone does something violent towards them, like how much harder is it to to go to? Not that the authorities are going to be trustworthy, right? When when well, they're that's the, ones the thing, to, yeah. you
6: know. There was a, a story I was reporting a few summers ago of uh, a man who had targeted several transgender women in Philadelphia. Um, some of them sex workers, some of them trans women that he thought were sex workers, um, and he he killed a trans woman after other women had already known that he was targeting the community, after they had already gone to the police and asked for help and been denied help by the police. So that is something that isn't even just about criminalization, right? That's about this very complex set of issues that have to do with how police use prostitution laws to profile black women and trans women, which I think is moving only further to the top of our agenda, especially um, when we look at how Black Lives Matter this summer has really taken a turn towards talking about black women and how black women are criminalized. That's where I hope this conversation goes in The United States to bring it under this larger and very upsetting umbrella of, of police harassment and police profiling and police violence.
2: So, was it in your first chapter? Uh, your book is excellent, by the way. I'm only two and a half chapters deep into it, but I can't wait to finish this uh, show to go like finish the book. And um, one thing is not that I don't want to keep talking, <laughs> but the um, I gave. what was brought what you brought Spring. up. Um, I think where sex workers report that maybe they the the amount of police that are actually harassing them versus the amount of uh violent interactions they have Mm. with their clients
6: yeah this is really striking i wish i had all of the stats off the top of my head it's the very beginning of the book the book starts with the police because i felt like the place to start oh my gosh and we started with the police yeah oh my god
1: sting you see i knew he was
6: yeah, this is, I think, a really striking finding when we talk about violence that sex workers face. We're not just talking about violence that they face from customers um, or even intimate partners, too, which we often don't talk about that. But we're talking about state violence and police violence. And, you know, when whether you're talking about sex workers in Jamaica, Queens, whether you're talking about sex workers in Bangalore, India, uh, the rates of violence that they're facing from police targeting them are much higher than the rates of violence they're experiencing from customers or people who are presenting themselves as customers to target them with violence. So you know, this is this is a really tough conversation, but I think we're ready to have it. I think we're, you know, I actually have a lot more hope for addressing these issues under the umbrella of police violence um, and under Black Lives Matter movements than, than feminist movements who have historically been really slow mm-hmm. to jump on board. But, you know, um, we'll see. We'll see. It's really, I think, at this point on the movement to keep pushing, you know, as it is. Um, Amnesty staff told me the reason they took this up is because the movement got there first and they were just playing catch up.
1: Right. That's the thing. Again, Lancet, Amnesty, these aren't really particularly ideological, kind of um, radical, sex-positive, like cultural studies reading organizations. Yeah, I'm or, sure there's some Judith Butler fans sprinkled no, course, in there. But, right. yeah, They're but,
6: not, you know, they're not like radical libertines in yeah. leather in the streets. I mean, a couple of them might be, and that's
1: awesome. Right, that's but, great, yeah. but that's not, there's not, you know, the, I imagine that's like kind of the fear that some people have when they're talking to people about sex work, is that they ha- they feel like there's this whole package that they don't want to endorse, which is a kind of a, a ridiculous thing anyway, but it's just funny to me that people, how, how can they reconcile, like when they say, these people are saying, on twitter no amnesty for pimps the hashtag right and the amnesty re- logo has been remixed into oh my, my dick it's, it's just best. Like it's, instead oh, of and the awful. candle so amnesty has a candle yeah. um logo and it's now it's a penis yeah. with barbed wire around it and it says protect the male orgasm but like what do these people honestly think sorry to say these people but what do some people honestly think like what's what skin does amnesty have in the game
6: I don't know, I've heard all kinds of, you know, mysterious rumors of cult, well, cult, cult confluences, right. that was one, or they're getting paid off by pimps, which is Illuminati. Kind of per, yeah, you know, the pimps basically like are the Illuminati. Right. Some of it, you know, it's so funny, back in the day, uh, like 100, 150 years ago when we went through a white slavery panic in the US, um, there was a lot of panic about like, you know, Jewish money and Jewish right. financiers. Rothschilds. Right. Yeah, a lot of coded language, right. and, you know, the pimp language, what yes. is that code and for, gi- right? right? right. So, like, I think that, you know, there's a lot
1: of, of empty fear there, and we have to move past it. Well, thank you so much for coming. Make sure you check out Melissa's book, Playing the Whore. Get the
2: book. Get, Get the, book. the book.
1: Get the book. And Melissa, where can people find you online on the Twitters? Most reliably on Twitter, Melissa Jira. Thanks, you Great. guys. And thank you for joining us. This is the Katie Helper Show. We're here every Wednesday. And come back. Listen to us on WBAI 99.5 FM. We'll see you next week. And upcoming guests include Margaret Cho and Tanya
3: Seagulls. see you next week.